I'm hoping that what I talk about today and what I preach about today will be an encouragement to you that you would this Christmas be doing things that would seem impossible. You would be taking risks and doing courageous things that would seem impossible um, because, because God's with you. This whole time of Christmas is about Jesus Christ coming to be with people. And when Jesus Christ lived on the earth, he uh, lived a perfect sinless life died a perfect death and rose again and he's alive in heaven but he actually sent someone who would come after him who would actually not just be with us but be in us living in us god living in us and that is the holy spirit some of you when you hear the word holy spirit or you think about the holy spirit is going all right what's going to happen today like are people going to be swinging off these rafters or something people are going to be dancing around here going crazy. Maybe that's been your experience, but before you switch off, I think it's going to be some crazy talk. Uh, I'm asking you that you hold out with me and see if there's anything that God would show you or remind you of today. I too have had some weird dealings with people and their perceptions of the Holy Spirit. I think that people generally fall into three camps when they think about the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, One one time I was at a conference and uh, this particular conference, there was a youth section and uh, part of it was that you could learn how to speak in tongues. And they literally had a bunch of the youth leaders stand up right along the front of, the, uh, the front of this school building, uh, this school room in a school building. And uh, people would line up, literally they'd be lining up in front of these people and they'd be like, who wants to come and find out how to speak in tongues? And so people would be going forward and they'd speak in tongues and they'd have to speak in tongues. And it, for me, I was standing at the back getting all self-righteous and thinking, Dave, that's weird. (laughs) I did not get that at all. And uh, that led me to start asking some questions of my own and looking in the Bible and trying to work out what is the go here. Um, And that particular situation I didn't think was uh, very close to what the Bible talks about, where the Holy Spirit gives gifts to whom he will. He likes to give gifts, maybe of speaking in tongues, to some people, but not to others. And that's the cool thing about God. He gets to do what he wants. Um, But maybe you fall into three camps when you think about the Holy Spirit. Either it's this power that inspires people to do nutty stuff that freaks most people out, or it's an impersonal force that exists but that you don't really want to know or think about, or maybe it's both. And maybe uh, maybe you actually do have a healthy understanding and healthy thinking about who the Holy Spirit is. my hope today is that I would encourage you with that, but for those who are in either of the other two camps, that there would be some truth that would come out today that would really help to enlighten who the Holy Spirit is. I really love doctrine. Um, Pete and Diff would both uh, know that I love doctrine, and sometimes to their, <laughs> to their painful uh, taste, it's, it's not something that everyone loves in particular, but I just love doctrine. I love find out what does it mean, what is it, what is it that Christians believe which ultimately is what doctrine is. The Holy Spirit and his work is a clear doctrine. It's a a clear thing that Christians believe uh, and need to understand. If you want to understand uh, the full Christian faith, then there's uh, there's a whole bunch of things that are part of believing in God. Uh, It's not just saying, sweet, I believe in God and that's it. No, you start to learn and grow in a bunch of different areas so that you'd have this really solid foundation and a good belief. Uh, a solid belief in God that's not just airy-fairy, but that has some real good, solid, meaty stuff. And uh, the Holy Spirit's one of them. So the following is not an exhaustive list. Um, 
with the short amount of time we've got, I'm only going to skim over most of them, but for the devoted, it ought to provide some good study over the coming weeks. Um, I'm going to go through a bunch of lists of scriptures. Um, I found it really valuable a couple of weeks ago when I heard Pete preach, I think it was last week, about encouragement. He just read chunks of scripture and, man, did it minister to my heart. And I really hope that, uh, that it would do the same for you today. So, starting out, the Holy Spirit is God. He's one of the three persons of the Trinity. He has eternally existed before the creation of the world and was present in the creation of the world. He was literally, Genesis 1-2, he was hovering over the, uh, over the deep. He was present throughout history, leading up to and including Jesus' life on the earth, and then was sent to dwell within people who have faith that Jesus is the only God, the only Saviour of our sin before God. To continue, there are three things to highlight that I want to highlight about the Holy Spirit today. First, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. This changed the way I related to God. It literally changed the way that I related to God. When I started to understand who the Holy Spirit is and that it's not just a force that comes to be in people, but that uh, he's very much a person. The Holy Spirit is the helper and counsellor and the Holy Spirit brings with him great power. So number one, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it or some random force within you. I wonder how you've thought about this before. I wonder when you've thought about the Holy Spirit, you're just going, oh, I really don't get him. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's just some weird force. Or I think of, I'm not a Star Wars or Star Trek fan. I can't even know which one it is. But may the force be with you. you know? what, which one is that? Thank you. All right. I've never watched them and I hopefully never will. Which, which I know disgusts James Calabria. <laughs> uh, but... May the force be with you. It's like God sent the force down to be with you, all right? And it's just, it's not that. When you look in the Bible, you see the Holy Spirit as a very, very different person. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is Jesus speaking. So Jesus is on the earth. He's going to go soon. Um, which freaks his disciples out and all the new Christians. It freaks them out because they're like, all right, God's come to be with us and now he's going. What the heck's going to happen now? And Jesus is saying, no, there's going to be a helper. He's going to be a helper and his name's the Holy Spirit. And he's going to teach you a bunch of things. And he's going to help you to remember all that Jesus says. Notice the word he in there. If you've got your Bibles open, John 14, 26, he, he will teach you all the things. That's a person language, isn't it? It's not just it will teach you all these things, but he, the Holy Spirit, is a he. Uh, John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Notice again, he, he's a person. He actually lives inside every believer. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit speaks, teaches from this, and is a person. And that Holy Spirit is the very one that God comes to live inside every single believer. Every single person who 
puts their faith that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is God and that everything that Jesus Christ did is true and transforms my life. Every person who agrees to that and loves God, you get the Holy Spirit. You get this person living within you. The Holy Spirit is a helper and a counsellor. Now, when you think about a helper or a counsellor, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want some force that you walk into and and it sort of speaks to you. Uh, It's like uh, the Superman movie. He walks up to... I'm terrible with details, but he walks up to that thing and is Kal-El his dad? Is that it? Who is it? Jor-El. Jor-El, whatever it is. Anyway, he walks up and it's like these crystal-looking things start speaking to him. And it's like a force that it's pretty impersonal, right? But uh, the Holy Spirit comes as a counsellor. That's someone who comes close and gives good counsel. As a comforter. I mean, you don't want some crazy, blunt, hard nut to come and be your comforter, right? You don't want a spiky sort of personality to come and be your counsellor. It's like, come on, get over it. Suck it up, harden up. You'll be right. <laughs> no, a good comforter comes close. Maybe sometimes they'll say that. But a good comforter will come close and, and they'll be very personal. And the Holy Spirit is no exception. The Greek word for helper in each of these scriptures that I'm about to look at is parakletos, which is very close in English to counsellor or comforter. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes as the helper, the counsellor and the comforter uh, in your life. Think about that. Think about God himself in the midst of the most terrible times living inside of you, living. And it's not like a dead force, remember? He, he lives inside of you and brings counsel, godly counsel, godly comfort that doesn't end. So the Holy Spirit teaches and helps you to remember John 14, 26. When you're in the, when you're, when you're in the midst of really dark times, or maybe you, you get to a point where life just seems purposeless, right? I, I got to this point a few, few weeks ago and, uh, and I was, there was some heated stuff going on with uh, my wife's family and I, I was just like, this is just purposeless. This is just dragging, this is grating me down. And I just found myself sitting there going, what is the point? I wasn't going to go and kill myself. I didn't feel like that, but I was just like, what is the point? There was just this purposeless sort of deadness about my life. I don't know if you felt like that before. And I knew that at some point I needed to stop and remember. Remember a whole bunch of stuff about who God is. Remember a whole bunch of stuff uh, that Jesus said. Remember a whole bunch of the promises like that Jesus is going to be a good shepherd and he's going to lead and guide me. That was comforting to know in those few moments. And you know who does that? The Holy Spirit living in you. The Holy Spirit living in you. Next, he bears witness. In Romans 8.16, uh, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit bears witness with you that you are sons and daughters of God, that you are children of God. Identity is a huge, huge deal, all right? Knowing who you are is, is a really important thing in understanding uh, how to live your life. And usually you live your life out of who you are. So if who you are is getting lots of, uh, lots of sporting achievements, uh, if who you are is having lots of girlfriends, if who you are is uh, having a boyfriend and you're the girlfriend, if who you are is being a parent, if who you are is 
uh, being a truck driver or a teacher, then you live out of who you are. You live out of that identity. And when God comes and adopts children into his family, this is going to be a strong theme today. When God comes to adopt children into his family, he gives them a new identity that can't be lost, right? Because sporting achievements can be lost. You could break your back and never be a sportsman again. There goes your identity. See you later. You may lose your children. There goes your identity as a parent to some degree. You may uh, lose your job. There goes your identity as a teacher. But there is one thing you can never lose when you get adopted into God's family, and that is that you will be a child of God forever. The Holy Spirit comes to seal that in you, to make that true within you, that you are a child of God. And that is something that you can never lose. Now, that's encouraging, right? How often do you need to be reminded of who you are and that it's not just about what you do? That you are a son or you are a daughter, you are a child of God and he's a good dad and he's going to keep hold of you. He's going to hold on tight. So the Holy Spirit living within you bears witness that you are a son or a daughter of God. The Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. Remember the Holy Spirit's a person and so he's literally in relationship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ and he prays on your behalf. You ever come to a point and you're just like, I don't know what to pray here. I've got no idea. Anybody ever felt that before? Yeah? You just, you, you're lost. Your mind is frazzled with a bunch of stuff. You are lost with what the heck you're thinking about and uh, how to make any way forward. Well, you know at that point that this truth is very powerful because the Holy Spirit intercedes, is living in you and interceding on your behalf. He's praying with groans that we can't even understand. That's the depth of how much he prays for you. He's praying for you on your behalf before God. And he prays the best prayers ever, right? He, it's not like he has to make up some sort of prayer and uh, wrote it out to God. No, he prays the best prayers ever because he actually is in touch with the will of God and searches the depths of God. And that's what he's praying for you. He prays according to God's will, not to your will. That is deeply encouraging. That is deeply encouraging because you could be lost. Your life could be meaningless and purposeless and the Holy Spirit is praying for you right then. The Holy Spirit prays on your behalf when you don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit searches the depths of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10 The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Is that good news? You become a Christian, God adopts you into his family and you get to know the thoughts of God, the depths and the thoughts of God. Now, this is, where, this is why it's so important to grow and to mature as a Christian, right? Because you get to know and understand more and more about who God is. This is why it's so important to grow and not just sit stagnant in your faith. To keep growing, to keep going, because the Holy Spirit in you knows the thoughts of God and He actually bears them to light in your life. It's like He shines a torch and says, here's the truth about God. How amazing is it? Do you see it? Do you see it, Gilmore? You get to know the thoughts of God, the very thoughts of God. The Holy Spirit is willing to distribute some gifts to some and other gifts to others. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The Holy Spirit comes with gifts. Isn't that, this is a big thing at Christmas. Gifts, gift giving. It's been a painful thing. I've, like I don't, uh, sometimes it grates on me, right? Trying to work out gifts and how much to spend 
and giving gifts to people who already have everything anyway. <laughs> you know, like, ah, I don't want to waste money on that. All right? There's more important, there's more valuable things to give to, give to people than just a toy, you know? Kids have a lot of toys these days, most kids. My kids don't need more toys. <laughs> anyway, the Holy Spirit comes and gives the most meaningful gifts, right? God adopts you into his family, he makes you his own child, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you and gives you new gifts. Sometimes those gifts are used uh, because of your natural ability, but most of the time it's a new gift that you never thought you had before. And suddenly you start preaching, and you're like the shy guy uh, who sat in the corner and never said a thing, right? Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit, there's a bunch of gifts. Look in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, um, there's a bunch of others throughout the New Testament that talk about the very specific gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. And they're gifts. You get gifted them. It's not like you have to try and grab at them. Give it to me. Come on. No, Holy Spirit comes and just says, here's a gift for you. And it's going to be good for you to use it. Go and use it. Delight in using it. Enjoy using it. Get into it. The Holy Spirit forbids certain activities. In Acts 16... Uh, Basically, they are on a missionary journey and the Holy Spirit stopped them from going into a particular city. So the Holy Spirit is actively leading and guiding. The Holy Spirit speaks right throughout the New Testament. The Holy Spirit speaks to someone and says, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, you should go in this direction. So through the Holy Spirit, he speaks to you. The Holy Spirit evaluates and approves a wise course of action, Acts 15, 28. The Holy Spirit is grieved by sin in the lives of Christians. No, the Holy Spirit gets sad. The Holy Spirit has emotions. Can you see how much of a person the Holy Spirit is? More and more you see, the more and more I read into this and, uh, and read the scriptures, the more you see, you see the Holy Spirit is not just an it, an impersonable force that lives inside people or lives around people. No, the Holy Spirit is a person who lives inside of you. And finally, the Holy Spirit brings with him great power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You look in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and this is the prime time that the Holy Spirit literally comes in a really special way on all of the new Christians, all of those who come to believe in Jesus and uh, there's tongues on top of their heads and crazy stuff going on. It was a pretty lively sort of time but the gospel was being preached because the Holy Spirit came with great power uh, to work in those disciples to be sharing the gospel uh, with all the people who were there at the time. And so you know, uh, the people who were there at the time were from all sorts of different nationalities. There were different tongues. They didn't speak the same language. But somehow, the Holy Spirit empowered these people to share the gospel about Jesus Christ. And all these different people, Fijians, Indians, Chinese, Japanese, they all heard it in their own tongue. Do you get how crazy that is? But man, that's the Holy Spirit that comes with great power. Now I want to shift gears. I want to see how the Holy Spirit living in every Christian ought to inspire us to courageous deeds, both great and small, which ultimately glorify God. This Christmas, I don't know about you, but you have great opportunity, if you love Jesus, to share about Jesus. There is this huge opportunity. There's been Christmas barbecues, street parties. Uh, there's been opportunities for generosity all throughout this, uh, this particular season. And you have a great opportunity to be sharing about Jesus. But I wonder what holds you back. I wonder what holds you back. I think, I think that a lot, of my, a lot of my life I've been held back by my own ego. In fact, um, 
Pete was preaching last week and he was talking about the death that Christ died on my behalf uh, so that I would ultimately when I would become a Christian, I need to put my own life to death, my old life to death and come to a new life. And my ego most of the time gets in the way of me sharing Jesus with people because I want to protect my ego. That's the most important thing to me. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to look stupid in front of people. And I want to have it well thought out and I don't want to say the wrong things that might, might, might make Jesus look stupid. Um, and most of the time I just say nothing. And that's a real shame because I don't truly believe that the Holy Spirit is really powerful. I don't truly believe that he leads me into truth. I don't truly believe that he has a great power at work within me in the very conversation that I'm having with my neighbour. And this is why it's so important to know what you believe so that you can then go and live it out. Know who you are, know what you believe and go and live it out. I also think that, uh, that people don't that we don't actually look for help. Some of the time we don't actually look for help and it's until you realise the magnitude of what you're called to as a Christian uh, that you actually start to look for help. Ephesians 5.1 says this. If you've got your Bible there, Ephesians 5.1. Therefore be imitators of God. Stop there. That's a big calling, isn't it? Be imitators of God. Imitate the perfect, holy, righteous powerful, almighty God, imitate him to the world. Be imitators of God. But it doesn't stop there. As beloved children, and this is where it starts. I I really strongly believe this is where it starts because the rest of today, if all you hear is, man, I've got to do more. Oh, I've got to go and do more stuff so that God will be imitated in me. Uh, It's not the the attitude that uh, God would have you have. There's a clear connection here between be imitators of God and as beloved children. Clear connection. You imitate God best as his child. You don't imitate God best by working harder, necessarily. That comes from the wrong foundation, right? You imitate God best as his child. This is where it all starts. Imitating God is not another job to add to your list of things to get done. Imitating God comes out of who you are. Uh, my nephew, we spent some time in Brisbane over the last week, and uh, my nephew takes great delight in imitating his dad when he goes off to work outside. I don't know if you've got sons. Peter probably vouched for this. Uh, and anyone who's got children, love that uh, those children, sometimes it's not great, but love that those children imitate you. Okay? Maybe uh, they imitate your anger <laughs> flowing out of control at times as well. But that's part and parcel with being people, right? Uh, but his son in particular just loves going to work with him outside, right? He gets his boots on. He's got his leather boots. He slips them on just like Dad does. Then, uh, then he goes and gets his tools. He's got his toy tools that he wants to go out and, uh, and be just like Dad as he goes to work. Then you see him pull the same mannerisms as his dad. I saw him walking around and like his face, you could see that his face was, he was trying to pull the same sort of facial expressions that his dad was making. You know, like he was like, oh, I just want to be like dad. Uh, the way dad walks, you see his dad walk and you see him just trying to trottle the same way right behind him, right in step with what his dad did. Um, he just loves it. He just loves imitating his dad. Then he goes and tells everyone, I helped daddy today. He was so excited. I helped daddy do the work outside today, do the mowing. 
I helped Daddy fix something in the garage. It was just so exciting for him. He, he was pumped about it. And this is the sort of imitating Paul's talking about here. It's not like, ah, oh, I've got to go and help Dad again. Far out. Maybe if you're 17, you might think like that. I don't know. I remember thinking like that as a 17-year-old. But it's the childlike sort of attitude of, I get to help Dad. I get to imitate him. I get to look like him. I get to be like him. That's exciting. That's cool stuff. Uh, John Gill, a commentator, says it this way. As dear children, and because they are such by adopting grace, being predestined unto the adoption of children in the eternal purpose of God and taken into that relation in the covenant of grace and which is declared and made manifest in regeneration and by faith in Christ Jesus. That's where it starts. You put your faith in Jesus, you get a new identity. You don't get a new identity, then put your faith in Jesus, right? It's it's the wrong way around. Uh, And they are dear or beloved children, being loved with an everlasting and unchangeable love and which is the spring and source of their adoption. And their being dear to him is seen by what he is unto them, their covenant God and Father, and by what he has done for them in giving his Son to them and for them, as well as in choosing, calling and quickening them by his grace and by the account he makes of them as his jewels, his peculiar treasure and the apple of his eye. And by the pity of com- and compassion he has for them and he takes care and the care he takes of them and therefore it becomes them to imitate him. See, it's not hard to imitate and obey someone that you love and someone that you know loves you. It's faulty thinking, it's really faulty thinking to think that if something difficult is going on in your life that God doesn't love you. Now God is still God. Uh, this past week has been a rough week and... Uh, all sorts of car issues and they're going to cost us a bunch of stuff. But by God's grace, honestly by God's grace, Renee and I have not been stressing about it. We, we just haven't freaked out about it. Because there's the truth and I believe the truth that God loves me as his son anyway and is that he's with me as I'm his son even in the most painful times, most annoying times when your car goes on you. And therefore it becomes them to imitate him. For who should they imitate and follow after but their father, and especially when they are so dear unto him? So this dad is not the dad who leaves his kids to imitate him on their own. He doesn't just say, righto, get this work done, and walk off to watch the footy and leave you on your own to your own devices. Right? It's not that sort of dad. He's the dad who says, righto, here's a big job to get done. Imitate me. But I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to give you a helper. The helper, the counsellor, my very presence actively working within you. So the Holy Spirit is not, in your, is not your last port of call when you've exhausted all your other resources. He is actively living in you so that you call on him in all that you do in imitating God, your heavenly dad. So, two things. The Holy Spirit gives power to do what seems impossible. I want you, if you've got your Bible, to open to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 1. This is a particularly amazing story. Uh, I've been reading it to my children lately and it suddenly dawned on me the, the significance and the hugeness of what Moses and his mother did. What his mum did in, uh, in making a basket. Like We have no idea how massive that, that thing is. 
Exodus 2 verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Her name was Jochebed, by the way. Uh, Other scriptures reveal that. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now if you look in the preceding chapter, Exodus chapter 1, uh, you'll see that there'd been a decree um, that the the midwives had to actually... uh, not let the Israelite baby boys be, be born. So you've got the Egyptians, the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, and uh, the Israelites are working under them as slaves. And, uh, and the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh, he's basically saying, no Israelite boys, we don't want them reproducing, we don't want them taking over Egypt. So he's literally saying infanticide, go and kill all the Israelite boys. Midwives, when those baby boys are born, you need to make sure they don't stay alive. But the midwives did this amazing amazing thing. And uh, they basically said, these Israelite women, they're having babies so quick, we can't even get there in time. And, and we, had not, we couldn't do it. We, we couldn't stop them from being born. And so uh, all these Israelite boys were born and the, the Israelites just kept growing and growing. God's in charge, right? He just keeps seeing his people grow. But then uh, the Pharaoh was like, it's got to stop. Now we've got to kill all the baby boys. All the baby boys in, uh, in Israel, we can't let them stay alive. Otherwise, they'll just keep growing and they'll end up taking over. He saw it as a huge threat. So this is where uh, Jochebed, an Israelite, um, God's, God's people, and she bore a son and hid him. Now stop there and think. You're going against the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is a powerful, powerful man. And he could do whatever he wants with you. If he didn't think that it was okay for you to live, boom. Done. Your life's done. And here she is going completely against what the Pharaoh had said. And she hid this baby boy for three months. That's a massive deal. She could get caught at any time. Baby screams. Soldier walking outside. Bam. Gone. She hid him for three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took, him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river. Just stop and think, your own child. Any mums out here would know this is a big deal. Any dads out here would know this is a big deal. Your own child, you're leaving to God and saying, all right, I'm just going to sit it in the water here and I'm going to hope for the best. Like, what else have you got? You're leaving a baby in a river that it would stay alive and somehow, somewhere be okay. It's not going to float down the river and, you know, land up at a waterfall. It's not going to... This is intense. I mean, the, the closest we have is like East Creek or something, Lake Annan. This mum just goes, I can't see my baby die. I'm just going to make a basket. I'm just going to leave it amongst all the ducks there, all the reeds. Hopefully something will happen. One of the neighbours will come and pick him up or something, you know? Unbelievable. And his sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done. She was like, "Thanks, going to happen to my baby brother here? In one of the books that my, uh, my daughters have, the mum says to her daughter, watch what happens. She wants her daughter to know that God is true, that God is real, and that God's going to look after their son. Watch what happens. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket. So the precise time that the princess of Egypt, the Pharaoh's daughter, 
would come down to that river at that exact time. An hour earlier, she would have missed it. An hour later, she could have missed it, could have floated on down the river, completely missed it. The precise time, God brings the Pharaoh's daughter down. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Hold on. Her dad has said, don't let the Hebrew boys live. There's a massive change of heart here for this this Pharaoh's daughter. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yep, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I'll give you your wages. So now the mum gets paid to look after her own kid. (laughs) Isn't that unbelievable? A baby just gets left in a river in amongst a bunch of reeds and God rescues this baby by the opposition, by the enemy. That's amazing. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Uh, So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. I don't know about you, but maybe you felt inspired to do some insignificant thing that you have no idea could be absolutely, absolutely world changing. I mean, it's, it's a significant but insignificant thing. A mother makes a basket and puts a baby in the river. Seemingly insignificant. But that one man was going to be the man that would lead a million people or more out of Egypt. What if Moses' mother had just said, all right, I'll just do whatever the Pharaoh says. I'll, I'll have to deal with the grief. She could have, but she took a massive risk and went against the Pharaoh and God came through. And here's where I want to encourage you. Maybe you felt inspired to do something like that. It was filled with risk, but that you weaseled your way out of because you didn't think you had the goods. Is there something you know is right that you were inspired to do, but you shrugged off because of the way you might look to those around you? Maybe you should have spoken. Maybe you should have acted, but you didn't. Be encouraged. You have God's very presence in you leading you to the truth. You have his power, the Holy Spirit, in you to do what seems impossible and what appears to look ridiculous. And you must believe that the Holy Spirit is who he says he is. My story, I'll tell you a story very quickly. Time's running out. I'll tell you a story about, uh, we spent some, Renee and I spent a night in the city last week and uh, for our anniversary and we were walking up the mall. And I felt very convicted because there, are a bunch of, there was this guy with a wicked, massive afro, right? And he was laying down on a park bench. I was there and we were spending a bit of money. We were having a nice night away. And here's this guy lying on a park bench because that's where he stays overnight. I was convicted. I was like, oh, I should do something. But then I saw him smoking a cigarette. I was like, nah, he doesn't deserve it. If he's got money to buy cigarettes, he doesn't need my money. He's not really poor. So I worked, I weaseled my way out of thinking that I was convicted to do something about this. And then there was a lady sitting behind him. She was just sitting there and she just looked absolutely down-faced, downtrodden, just staring. She just sat there and stared for hours. We walked past one time, then we walked back again and there she is sitting there just staring. I couldn't help it. I just had to go and do something because I felt this strong conviction in me that something needed to be done right here. And I had money and I had stuff that I could actually look after them. It, it, was a, it was a prime moment where I could have just weaseled my way out and thought, they don't need the money, got to look after them somehow. 
Um, I'm going to look pretty silly going and sitting next to them and having a chat to them. Uh, there's going to be people walking past and uh, I'll look like a bit of an idiot. And at that point, I had to make a decision. Either I follow what the Holy Spirit inspired me to do and take a bit of a risk, which probably isn't that great a risk anyway, or I whiz my way out and try to forget about it. And so I ended up going and, uh, and grabbing a couple of vouchers, um, food vouchers, and, uh, and going and chatting with them for a while. And I don't mean to tell you that so that, you know, I don't think I'm someone great, I'm not, all right? But there was a strong sense in me that I had to obey. This was a conviction and it wouldn't let go. And it was a conviction that I knew that uh, if I didn't do it, man, it would just haunt me. It would just be running over and over. I'd see their image in my, uh, in my head for the whole night. Uh, and it was a necessary thing I had to go and do. So I wonder if there's a situation like that, that you need to go and take a risk, knowing that you have the Holy Spirit who gives you power to do so. Second, the Holy Spirit gives stronger or weaker evidence of the presence and blessing of God according to our response to him. Now, this is interesting because I think some people think that spirituality is uh, something that is segmented into coming to church on a Sunday uh, and that maybe you have in your quiet time in the morning, but not something that infiltrates every single facet of your life. Um, Or maybe you think that uh, going to a conference is the only way you can be spiritual and you can see God, feel God's presence and sense God's presence. Or maybe it's going on a missions trip. I was chatting with, a, uh, with someone the other day and they just pumped up because they've just been on a missions trip. And they're so excited and they so knew the presence of God and the blessing of God being with them. And, uh, and the truth is that that is true. Yes, there is times where you need to go and take solitude and you can come close with God. But it's also true that God's with you, very much with you, when you go to the checkout. And when you go and buy your food or when you go to your next door neighbour and ask for an egg or when you go and uh, play sport on a Friday night, whatever you do, God's presence is very much with you. Uh, And so depending on what the Holy Spirit sees happening and a Christian's response to him, he will add blessing or take it away. Jesus, for example, being completely without sin, had the Holy Spirit remain on him throughout his life and was given to him without measure. The story of Samson in the Old Testament was given God's special presence when he defeated an army of a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. But God's presence left him when he persisted in sin. People resisted the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God left those people. They grieved the Holy Spirit by continuing to sin in spite of his gentle conviction to stop. By being unteachable or being being challenged to change through the Bible and preaching and walking away and doing nothing about it. These are ways that the Holy Spirit actively works in you to bring about good, but you resist it. You're like, oh, that's scary. That grates. That that means I have to give up something. That means I have to die to myself. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for you. And so he takes away his blessing because you continue to resist. And I continue to resist. That situation in Brisbane, I could have resisted. I could have been like, go away, stop annoying me. <laughs> Will you leave me alone? I just want a night away with my wife. You know, like it could have been, that was part of what I was feeling. I was resisting. I was like, maybe I don't have to do it. Maybe I could work a way out. No, it's going to be good for you to do what the Holy Spirit is inspiring you and working in you to do. 
Or maybe it was by lying to the Holy Spirit. Ananias dropped dead on the floor when he lied about selling his land and giving it all, all the proceeds to the church when he actually kept some for himself. For whatever reason, Ananias was like, sweet, I'm going to sell all my land. I'm going to give all the money to the church. But he kept some for himself. And he was challenged about it. And he said, no, 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 I gave it all. And uh, basically, he was, he was uh, challenged and told he's full of Satan and that he'd lied to the Holy Spirit. And literally, boom, there he is, dropped down on the floor. Resisted Satan, uh, resisted uh, the Holy Spirit. And in, in the end, lied to the Holy Spirit. Didn't do what he said he was going to do. But on the other hand, in the life of a true Christian, he lives in a way that pleases God and by his standards, the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell and bring great blessing and fruit. We live in an anti-legalism age where as Christians, if we start to do too much, then we have a work salvation. It's always interesting to consider your life and your attitude to what goes on in your life when your life is an absolute mess or there is a sense of purposelessness. You start to get all legalistic on God because he's not coming through for you the way you thought he should. Like, what are you doing, God? You're not pulling your end of the bargain. But there's no wonder when God promises especially to dwell with those who have faith in him, love him, closely follow him and do what he says. If you're walking your own life and saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to know about God's truth and I don't want to follow him and do what he says, is there any wonder that your life ends up a mess? There isn't any wonder because God specially says that his Holy Spirit will dwell with people and that whether life's a mess or not, he's going to be with you and you're going to come through it. And there's also going to be blessing that will come with that. He gives gifts and truth to his people. Jesus said that he will flow out of our inmost being like rivers of living water. When you suffer for the sake of Jesus' name, there's a special blessing of the Holy Spirit resting upon you. Did you know that? When you talk about Jesus and people ridicule you, when people know you're a Christian and make fun of you, there's a special blessing on you that the Holy Spirit rests upon you in that special moment, in that particular moment. And that's good news. How much more the blessing of the Holy Spirit than the blessing of people's praise? How much more the blessing of the Holy Spirit being with you than people's approval? There's no greater blessing. So take courage. When you look in the New Testament... After Jesus' life, death and resurrection, there are so many regular daily activities that are done in the Holy Spirit. Rejoicing, resolving or deciding something, having access to God, praying and loving. The question is, are you aware of the Holy Spirit's presence and blessing in these activities? I want to close really quickly. Three practical ways to see the Holy Spirit powerfully at work in your life. Hiding the treasure of scripture in your heart. Remember John 14, 26 talked about how the Holy Spirit will bring, uh, will teach you and will help you to remember all that Jesus says. So when you hide the treasure of scripture, when you hide it in your heart, when you memorize it, when you remember it and go over it and over it, the Holy Spirit brings it to bear right in the moment when you feel most depressed or right in the moment when you need greatest courage to go and do what he's called you to do. That's the, part of the Holy Spirit's job and his role. When you read the Bible, you get to know God by regularly listening to him through the Bible. And the Holy Spirit, this is part of the job of the Holy Spirit, is that when you open the Bible and you do it regularly, that the Holy Spirit brings it to life. It's not just a book to read, but because of the Holy Spirit living in you, man, he just brings it to life. 
And it's the way that you work out uh, the truth about God and the truth about yourself. The Holy Spirit uses that to convict you so that you'd be changed and transformed. <clears throat> Prayer, second one. Who do you automatically turn to get help when things go pear-shaped? Yourself, your own ability, your husband, your wife, your phone, Facebook, chat room, friends. None of these are completely wrong and there's wisdom in getting advice, but you have someone far greater living in you who will actually lead you and guide you and give you wisdom from God, not just a human wisdom. And so prayer is utmost in this particular point. Um, this changed for me uh, massively when I started praying and asking the Holy Spirit about stuff that happened in my life every day. So I'd be walking to a class and uh, I'd be particularly challenged on a particular point I was going to teach on and I'd ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please bring it to life. I don't know how, but please bring it to life. Uh, when I'm sitting down to discipline my children and, uh, and it's unclear to me how I'm going to do that best, I literally pray. I stop and go, Holy Spirit, how am I going to do this? How can I show them that you love them? How can I show them that I love them and discipline them so that they're, they're training? Um, in, in moments in your life, the other example is Nehemiah. So Nehemiah uh, works for a king. He's not in a monastery, right? He's not in a, uh, in, in a missions trip somewhere. He's working for the king. It's a pagan king in a pagan kingdom um, and nobody loves God. And so he comes before the king and uh, what he's about to ask the king a, you don't come before the king, especially with a sad face. You look happy and you make sure you're happy, right? But you don't come before the king sad and he had a sad face because God had particularly said on his heart that Israel needed to be... Uh, well, the people of Israel needed to come back together and the city needed to be rebuilt so that God's people could be together again. And, uh, and so Nehemiah, he comes before the king, he's doing his job of cupbearing and, uh, and he says... Uh, king, well, the king says to him, why are you so sad? Like, literally, you could be killed for this. You come before the king sad and you could be killed. And, uh, and, ne and Nehemiah says, well, God's put on my heart. God's broken my heart for his people. His people are scattered everywhere. And I think God wants me to go and rebuild the kingdom. And right in that moment, before he continues, the Bible says that he stops and prays. So literally, imagine you're sitting in, uh, in your boss's office or sitting in the presence of someone great, and you better be well prepared with your speech or with your talk or whatever you're doing. And he stops and pauses for a momentary prayer, says, basically, God help me. I've got nothing here. God help me. In other words, Holy Spirit, I need you. Lead me to truth. Show me what to say and how to say. And in that moment, uh, God took him forward, and uh, he ended up, the king, the pagan king, ended up paying for a lot of the city of Jerusalem, uh, the, the city that Israelites were going to live in, um, to be rebuilt. That's nuts. Pagan king, non-Christian king, uh, paying for God's people to get back together again. <laughs> so a split-second prayer. I wonder how you pray. Is it just a morning time or an evening time or going to bed time? Or is it a regular, the Holy Spirit is a person and I'm going to talk to him all the time? Finally, a godly lifestyle. Remember, this comes from a new identity that the Holy Spirit confirms in you over and over again. It comes from the starting point of Jesus, not from the starting point of you getting your stuff done. 2 Peter 1.5 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. That's where it starts. You have faith in God. He rescues you. He changes you and gives you a new identity as His child. 
So add to your faith, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. These are all things that the Holy Spirit starts to work in you as you continue to pursue what it is that God's calling you to in living a godly lifestyle. So I'm going to end there. That's it. I'm done. But I want to uh, ask you, maybe you have the Holy Spirit in you and you don't realise how powerful he actually is and how integral he is in every moment of your day. And in the lead up to Christmas, doing courageous things for your neighbour that you really wanted to do but didn't think you could. Be encouraged. You have the power of God at work in you. And he is never... I mean, he is faithful. You look like an idiot and you've done justice to Jesus in loving people. Good for you. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit rests on you and there's blessing for you. Maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit today. And uh, the Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives when you put your trust in Jesus. And when, uh, when you trust that Jesus Christ died a brutal death on, your, on the cross for your sin and my sin, and today you become a child of God, that's my hope, and that the Holy Spirit would come and live within you, that the promises of who the Holy Spirit is, the helper, the counsellor, the teacher, brings wisdom, great power at work in you, that that would be true for you today. So let me pray. God, uh, you are a generous dad and a loving dad and you adopt people into your family all, all the time. And when you adopt people in your family, you, you give us this amazing gift of your presence, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But it's not just a force, it's a person. The Holy Spirit, he is living in me. He is living in uh, Christians st- sitting here today. And he is alive and active and well. And I pray, God, that as, uh, as we walk out of here, as the people at the project walk out of here, that they would do courageous things that would glorify you that they never thought that they would do uh, to be a blessing at Christmas time. That they would see the needs of people around them and just love to bless them. Because we get to imitate you, Dad. We get to go to work with you. And so, uh, so God, bless, bless the people of the project. Bless uh, Christians sitting here today. And if there's non-Christians, God, save them. Adopt them into your family today. Pray that in faith they would trust in you, Jesus Christ, that you died for them and, and you rose again to bring eternal life, life eternally with you. Lord, uh, bless this day, I pray in your name. Amen.